All right, so we ready for Bible study? All right. What chapter are we in today? Genesis. Chapter 30. Let's open up our Bibles to chapter 30 of Genesis. Amen. And you know me, my style, I'm going to pump you guys again for information. Right? Anybody remember what we learned last week? What happened last week? Chapter 29. Huh? Jacob met Rebecca. What was that, brother? Oh, you said the same thing? Oh, okay. Same spirit. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So last week we covered when Jacob arrived in Haran. Okay? He arrives in Haran and he falls in love. Who does he fall in love with? Falls in love with Rachel. Right? Yeah, he falls in love with Rachel and he ends up doing slavery. Right? For seven years he does slavery. For who? Or Uncle Laban. Yeah. Uncle Laban. Rachel's pops. Okay. So what happens during that time? He's working seven years for the hand of Rachel because he, he falls in love with her and he wants to marry her. What happens on wedding night? He got tricked, huh? He got the big switcheroo. Right? So instead of him getting Rachel, he ends up getting who? Okay, I'm not going to go into description, but yeah. <laughs> so when Jacob finds out, then what does he do? He gets angry, right? But yet he's still in love with Rachel. So now he puts in another seven years, right? So he puts in 14 years. Now the whole thing about this, he ends up learning what? He ends up learning his first lesson, huh? In the school of hard knocks. Remember that? What was that first lesson? Patience? There you go. What comes around goes around. You reap what you sow. Right? Because remember, Jacob pulled the trick too on his pops. Amen? But we also talked about the problem with polygamy. Right? The problem with, you know, relationships. Right? The danger that happens, you know, when... When two people of the opposite sex have, you know, uh, an innocent relationship that are married, right? In other words, they're, they're married to somebody else, and yet they come together, that there's a danger in that. Remember we covered that? That it starts off innocently if we're not careful, and then what happens after that? Where your treasure is, is where your heart is, right? Or where your heart is, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will follow, right? So... What, what are we talking about as far as treasure? There were three things. One was money, right? Treasure is money, but it's also considered also your thoughts and your dreams, right? So there's a danger if you're a married person and you start sharing your thoughts and your dreams with somebody else. Amen? So we covered that. Okay, so then we end the chapter with... Uh, Jacob already being married. He's married to two women now. And now Leah's spitting out kids. And Rachel, she's barren. All right? So why don't we go ahead and we're going to go ahead and begin in chapter 30. And we're going to continue this saga. Right? And we're going to see that even in this chapter, there's still more drama going on. Every single person in this chapter is messing up again. Big time. Okay? There are two major themes that we see in this chapter. One of them 
is the building of Jacob's family. And number two, the building of Jacob's fortune. Okay? So let's continue. Verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said, Jacob, give me children or I'll die. So here, Rachel, now which one's Rachel? She's the pretty one, right? She's the beautiful one. She's the gorgeous one, the fine one, remember? She's the one that, was, that the Bible describes her as gorgeous, beautiful, formerly, right? She looks at her older sister, and for the first time, okay, for the first time, she's jealous. She envies her, okay? She envies her. I mean, think about this. Rachel, when, 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 when these ladies are growing up, who got all the dates? Rachel. Who got all the attention? Rachel, right? So she's used to this type of attention. But now, now that Leah's the one that's having kids and she's not, there's a problem going on, right? So she's miserable, okay? She's miserable because my older sister's got four kids and I've got nothing, you see, in that day and culture, it was a curse for women to not be able to have kids. Okay? It was a curse. It was like the worst thing that could happen to a woman. So now we're in a place, or Rachel's in a place of hostility. She's in a place of frustration, right? And so what she's doing now is now she's speaking to her husband in a disrespectful way, <clears throat> which is something that you didn't do in that culture. So she doesn't ask him any request. She demands him, Jacob, give me kids, and give me kids now. So by this time, Jacob is like, he's had it up to here already, okay? Now, mind you, Rachel's the one he loves. Rachel's the one that he put 14 years of work, of back pain, right? He was in love with Rachel. But finally, she brought him to that point. He's like, I've had it. Okay, so she demands for him to give her a child. Okay, verse 2, Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? He says, Am I God? Do you think I, can, I have the power to solve the barrenness in your situation? Do you think I got it? You think it's me that can solve your problem? It ain't me. I'm not God. I can't solve your problem. As a matter of fact, I'm not the one with the problem. I'm not. I'm performing. I got kids. As a matter of fact, I got proof. I got four kids with your ugly sister. Right? That's what he's saying. So he's, he's like, I, I'm not God. I can't solve your problem. But Rachel's in a position to where she feels she's going to die if she doesn't have any kids. Okay? Give me, give me a kid. Give me children or I'll die. And it's kind of ironic because childbirth will be the thing that will take her life. And yet she's crying for a kid. All right? Let's keep that in mind. Keep also in mind that it's dangerous to make demands, isn't it? Especially making demands to God. It's a dangerous thing to make a demand to God. Anybody ever do that? Hmm? I just got to have this. 
I just got to have that. Lord, give me this. Ladies, oh, God, I got to have him. Guys, God, I got to have her. And we start making demands, right? Be careful with that. Because, you know, there's a reason why God doesn't answer our prayers. Because God knows everything, right? He sees it all. God knows when something's bad for us. He ain't going to give it to us. But if we continue to be demanding, be careful. Because you never know. God might give you what you want. And it might not be something you like. Right? So let's not be demanding. Amen? I've, I've, I've been learning. I continue to learn that. You know? Now I'm at a point to where I'm like, you know what, Lord? I'll just leave it in your hands. I mean, I'll talk with God. You know, I'll, I'll share my heart with the Lord. Father, what do you think about this? Lord God, I'll, you know, I, I, I want this. I really want this, God. Please, can I? You know? But then again, I'll be like, okay, I'll leave it in your hands. If I get it, I'll know, okay, cool. If not, okay, I get it. Because I'm learning that God sees the end from the beginning. I'm learning that God knows what will happen if I happen to get whatever I want. Right? So I leave it over to him. Amen. So let's go to verse 3. It says, Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her, so that she may bear children for me, and I can build a family, and I too can build a family through her. Now, who does this sound like? Sarah, right? That sounds just like Sarah. Jacob, take my servant. Go ahead, take her. Have a kid with her. It'll be ours. We'll claim it as ours, right? She does the same thing as Sarah, right? She uses human solution to try to figure out her problem. Take my servant girl. But you know what baffles me about this whole thing is that Jacob goes along with it. Jacob is like, okay. <laughs> he goes along with it. I mean, he's already got headaches. He's got two headaches right now. Dealing with Rachel and Leah, right? He's dealing with two headaches. Why would he take on the third one? Okay. Verse 4. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her. And she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Jacob said, I mean, then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Natalie. So now Jacob's got two more boys. Now he's got two more kids. Bilhah the servant, and now she's spitting out kids. Two boys, one by the name of Dan, which means judge, because she said God has vindicated me. In other words, she was saying that God had declared her innocent, like the way a judge does in a court. She names, she names the other Naphtali, which means I have wrestled. So she says, I have fought against my sister, and I have won. Notice that both of these names are a jab at her sister, Right? What's going on here? What is Leah doing that's making her do this? 
Leah's not doing anything. She's just being a wife and she's having kids, right? But here Rachel, on the other hand, is jabbing her. And the bad thing about this is that she's claiming that God has vindicated her, right? That he's given her victory over her sister. So what are we seeing here? Simply this, is that Rachel's attitude, okay? Rachel's attitude is typical of those who are far away from God, right? Who are outside of God's will. That's the type of attitude that she's carrying. Because the way that she goes about having kids is a sinful way. She does it just like Sarah, right? Because it wasn't the way that God had intended it. But yet, out of the flesh, they went ahead and made that choice. Okay, she made that choice. And so, even though she's, even though she's having kids in the wrong way, God is still allowing it to happen. And God is allowing it to happen because he has a greater purpose for these children. Amen? So, whatever Rachel had presumed that God was doing was wrong. It was wrong. It wasn't what she thought because she thought that God was on her side, right? And this is a lesson for us because there are many who will tell others what God is doing and why he's doing it, okay? They end up always finding a way to justify their circumstances, right, as something that God approves. You know what I mean? But remember, there's a problem here, okay? Remember the last time couple of weeks ago we talked about the problem with those that 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 used God as a co-signer God the Lord told me this the Lord told me that without even having confirmation the Lord told me this and they just throw the Lord around like it ain't nothing well this is another form here this is another form right here we're seeing another problem using God as a co-signer right in this way by assuming that by the mere fact she got what she wanted she, now she's saying that it was God's will. She got what she wanted, so it was what God wanted. And that's not right, and that's not true. You know what I mean? So we can't, we can't be confused in this point, right? Because face it, in reality, many people, and I'm talking about in the billions, many people will do what they want. Many people will get what they want. But it doesn't mean that God approves of it. It doesn't mean that that's what God wanted, Okay? Many people are, 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 are doing that, and, I, and I'll give you, and I'll give you an, an example. Even though God disapproves of it, he will still use that situation to fulfill his will, just like he's doing with these kids, right? They're having these kids in the wrong way, but he's still going to use these kids. He's got a plan, okay? An example I can use is Satan. God used Satan to lead Judas into betraying Jesus, right? Does that mean that God approves of Satan? No. So here, Rachel clearly is engaged in what we might call the sinful war of hate and spite against her sister. And the bad thing about that is that she's presuming that the Lord is on her side. Right? That the Lord wants her to win. Okay? We got to be careful, church. We got to be careful in assuming that God always sees the way, sees things the way we do. Okay? We don't need to rely on our circumstances to know what God desires, all right? What do we have to rely on, church? God. Well, we covered this a couple of weeks ago. What? I love it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put it up. She's got it. The Word. 
The word is what we rely on, remember? The word that you heard. Right? Verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as wife. Now, when it says that Leah had stopped having children, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that God had closed her womb like he did Rachel. What it means here is that uh, Rachel had a strong grip on Jacob. It wasn't allowing Jacob to spend any time with Leah. So if you don't spend no time with Leah, you don't get no kids from Leah. Okay? So she wasn't allowing him to do that. But here we're looking at that, you know, Leah's not going to be outdone. So Leah's got the attitude like, hey, if, you're not, if, if I can't spend no time with you, then here's my service. Spend time with her. The kids that you have, they'll be ours. So she's doing the same thing. See how everybody's starting to mess up? So what does Jacob do? Okay. <laughs> right? Jacob's got four women now. Huh? Them headaches are multiplying, aren't they? Let's continue. Verse 10. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Now Gad means troop. Okay. In other words, Leah's saying, I got some reinforcements now. Right. I have a fifth son. Now I'm building an army. So she names him Gad. Verse 12. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. So now we're seeing a lot of kids come out. Now we're seeing the competitions really heating up, right? I mean, these, these, these women, and now he's got four women, and they're spitting out, well, except for Rachel, because Rachel hasn't had anybody, had anything yet, right? But these other ladies are spitting them out, right? It's like a race. You know, I, I think about, anybody ever been to a carnival, you know, where where you go to them, uh, the, the games and you, and you got like the water guns to see which, which animal goes up higher or whatever or which balloon blows up first, you know what I mean? You got a bunch of people squirting them, the, the water guns. This is what I'm envisioning, okay? You got these women in competition and they're spitting out kids. So the plot's going to thicken right now, okay? Here we go. Verse, verse uh, 14. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he, bought from his, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said, Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Would you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight. In return for your son's mandrakes. What are you doing, Rachel? You already took my old man. I was the one married to him first, and you took him. And now you want to take my son's mandrakes? What are mandrakes? Right. Why don't we go ahead and put that image up so that everybody can see? These are mandrakes, okay? They got purple flowers. Now, the purple flowers is what a mandrake looks like in the winter. In the summertime is when they look like these plum-type fruit objects, okay? In the middle is the root, and it looks, it's, it's like a carrot, right? 
but in the form of, of a baby. Sometimes they call it a baby root or a man root. And, and, and like, like our sister said, these are what, you, what would be considered aphrodisiacs. Okay? So these were considered a fruit that would put you in the mood. You know what I mean? You take a bite of that, and all of a sudden you're hearing Barry White sing. Okay? So it would put you in the mood, you know, and then they were considered aphrodisiacs, right? So they were supposed to be romantic. They were supposed to be, you know, believed that this carrot root would, would actually give a woman fertility. All right? So we can see why Rachel is desperate for these, right? These right here are considered an aphrodisiac. This is just a myth. It's just a myth. That's all it is. But back in that culture, they really believed that this, is, this right here really did it. So here, Rachel, she's desperate. She ain't got no kids. Everybody else is spitting out babies, and she don't have nothing. So she's desperate. Leah, please, please, Leah, let me have your son's mandrakes, please. She gets so desperate that she tells her what? If you give me the mandrakes, you can have Jacob. He'll be your late-night creep tonight. Huh? We'll send him to you. He's yours tonight. Just give me the mandrakes, right? Verse 16. So when Jacob comes in from the fields, that evening Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you in my, with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. You know what the funny thing about all this? Is that the women are the one calling the shots. Isn't that something? They're the, ones, they're the ones calling the shots. Jacob's response should have been, are you out of your mind? Who put you and Rachel in charge? But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he's weak. He's passive, right? He's a coward, right? He's a passive husband that does whatever his wife tells him in order to keep the peace. Amen? In order to avoid conflict. Well, that too, because he goes on to sleep with her, right? He goes on to say, okay. But the amazing thing about this whole thing is that we see God still blessing them. God still blesses Jacob, still blesses Leah, still blesses Rachel. Amen? Even though despite their sinful behavior, right, despite their dysfunctionality, but remember, we covered a few weeks ago that there are consequences to our choices, right? We continue to make poor choices. There are consequences. So what consequences are we seeing here? Their home is unhappy. They have an unhappy home. Neither one of them are content. There's no peace. There's no intimacy. There's none of that. All there is is a competition. Right? A competition, a jabbing at one another. Why? Because of a passive husband. A husband who refused to lead his home. And two disrespectful wives that don't know the meaning of submission. Okay? But you know what? We can't blame Jacob for that. Because Jacob, you can't do something that you haven't been taught. Jacob should have been taught this as a kid. His dad was the same way. His dad was passive. Isaac, he was passive. He was weak also. 
Because the one that was running that house was Rebecca. She was the controlling one, remember? Isaac's job should have been the one to teach his son how to be a leader in the home. But it's obvious that he didn't. And the only thing that he learned was that the woman was the leader. But how many of us know that there's an order that God has in the home? There's an order that God has in the family. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. It says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 20 says, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let me say that louder. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Can we put up that other image? That's what it looks like. The family that God has ordained, that's what it looks like. Christ at the top. Then the husband, then the wife, and then the children. So what is that telling us? Guys, fellas, it all starts with us, right? Christ is the one that created the family unit, but it begins with us, husbands. Amen? It says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I emphasize that because you know what? If you love your wife and you're not harsh with them, the submission follows automatically. It's automatic. Our wives, okay, won't feel like they have to submit. They'll want to. Amen? And I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to go ahead and put one of our pastors on blast. Because I think that our pastor delivered such a powerful message on Sunday. If you guys haven't seen Pastor Joe's message on Sunday, I encourage you, go back and watch the live stream. But there is something that he mentioned in his message that is powerful. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up, okay? So I'm going to read it. But he mentions, the more I like to take care of my family, the more my wife likes to take care of me. The less I think about my family... And what I want, or should I say, the less I think about myself and what I want, the more my wife surprises me with the stuff I like. That's powerful. Because all that right there stems from what? Love. Love. Loving, loving your family the way you're supposed to as a man, as a husband, as a father. Loving your wife, treating her the way she should be treated the way we're commanded, the way Christ treats the church, right? Christ died for the church, right? That's how we are to treat our wives. It all begins with us. I've talked to so many people, so many guys. Pastor, tell her, man, she's got to submit, right? Tell her. Show her the verse, Pastor. 
Heck no. It starts with us. It starts with us. You want your wife to submit, you better start treating her right. Amen? Everything else will come automatic. Amen? 17. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore a fifth son. Now, this is funny, because who did all the manipulating? Rachel. Rachel did all the manipulating. She wanted the mandrakes, remember? She wanted that love apple. And who gets pregnant? Leah. That is funny. That's what happens when you start manipulating things, right? It doesn't go your way. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 18. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for, my, for, rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. God bless Leah because she's still hoping, isn't she? But you know, I don't think this is going to work either. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. She listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Finally. Someone say finally. Finally, after all these kids are being spit out, Rachel finally gives birth. Rachel finally gets pregnant and she has a son. And she names him Joseph. Anybody know what Joseph means? Right, right. It means adding, right? Or he shall add. Okay? So let's, let, let's get this straight. She has a baby, okay? She finally has a baby. And what does she say? Okay, great. I've got a kid, but I want another one. Ain't that interesting? After all this time of begging for these fruits, all this time watching everybody else have kids, she finally has one, and her reaction is, okay, I want another one. To me, when I read this, it's almost like you haven't even taken the time to really enjoy this child. And you're like, okay, big deal. I want another one. The Lord shall add, right? So right here, what does this show us? It kind of shows us, you know, a, 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 a thing about the human condition, right? It shows, us, it shows us, you know, our human nature. How many of us have said, I want that job. I want that house. I want that car. I want that whatever. You fill in the blank. And then when you get it, you're not satisfied. That ever happened to you? Not satisfied. No matter how much you get, you don't get satisfied. But you know, here's the hard truth. If you're not satisfied where you're at, you're not going to be satisfied down the road either. If you're not satisfied being single, you probably won't be content being married either. If you're not satisfied living in an apartment, you probably won't be satisfied in a, in, a, in a house. If you're not satisfied driving a VW, you won't be satisfied driving a convertible either. Why? Because you're not satisfied where you're at. Right? Make the best of where you're at. You know what I'm saying? 
Be satisfied where you're at. Praise the Lord. She says, I want a kid, and she has a kid. Okay. I want another one. But it's ironic because the next one that she will have will be the very one that will take her life. Because she, she will die giving birth to her second child. Okay. Verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to, to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Because of you, Jacob. Because of you, Jacob. Amen? Now check this out. Laban isn't even a believer. He's not a believer because we'll see in the next chapter that he's still an idol worshiper. Okay? But yet, in this moment, he tells Jacob, because of you, because of you, Jacob, since you've joined me, since you've joined my family, since you've entered into this company, these past 14 years, I've been blessed because of you. I've learned through divination that you're the reason why I'm wealthy. Why? Why I'm blessed. I mean, his flocks and his herd, right, they multiplied radically. Not to mention, he's got a whole lot of grandkids now, right? So everything is going good for Laban. But what stands out to me is that in this rare moment, he takes that time to recognize that he is blessed because of Jacob. Why is this so important? Because that's ministry, church. That's ministry. You see, people tend to think that ministry is the, is the, is the, is the person up here preaching. Not, not, not necessarily. Ministry is our job site. That's ministry. Right? Ministry is not just a preacher. Ministry is the plumber. The one that could go down in the bowels of a house and reach a person who would never have the intent of coming to church. Never have the intent of watching one of our live streams, right? Never... A, a place where a preacher wouldn't be able to reach that type of person. But here you have a plumber who's doing such an outstanding job for this customer. Right? So much so that he stands out and this customer is pleased. Like, wow. He did such an immaculate job. He gave me such a good deal. Why? Because this plumber has an attitude knowing that he's in the ministry. That the job site is ministry. In other words, he gives it his best, right? He works hard. Amen. That's where ministry is at. Ministry, okay. His job is to go in the house, right, the plumber. And he sets an example of a hard worker, okay. Now, the Bible tells us that whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all for what? For the glory of God. Whatever we do. It also says that whatever our hand finds to do, to do it with all our might. In other words, give it our best, right? That's the key right there. That is the key right there. 
See, people tend to think that ministry is just here at church. No, ministry is out there. That's where ministry is at. Amen? Jesus said, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you, and I have ordained you. I'm ordained. You're ordained. We're all ordained. We're all in the ministry, church. Every single one of us. Amen? And when I see people that are walking up to the altar to give their life to Jesus, or when I see people that are taking a, 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 a dive inside the water to get baptized, what comes to my mind, that's the work of the ministers out there. Right? That's the work of the guy who was nailing in the construction site. That's the work of, 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 uh, of the, 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 the bus boy, right? Bussing tables at Denny's. You know what I mean? That right there is ministry. Amen? In other words, we as Christians, we have to be the best worker that we can be at, at our job sites. We have to set the example. We have to be the one to where the, where the boss brags. That's a good worker right there. You know what I mean? We can't be the type of, of a worker that, that, that makes the boss say, where's he at? Where's she at? You know? Are they skating? Are they milking the clock? Right? If anything, we're, we're the example. We got to stand out even in our job site. Right? We got we to... Gotta, we got to be valuable. I always say, be valuable to your boss. Make them know that they didn't make a mistake when they hired you. Right? Let them see Christ in you. Amen? Work hard. Don't cheat. Be early if needed. Stay late. Right? If needed. Do everything without complaining. That's true ministry, church. But it's hard. My boss, he's a jerk. I can't stand him. Right? How many of us have had problems with our bosses? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to put nobody on the spot, you know. <laughs> but it happens sometimes. You get a boss that you just don't agree with, and all of a sudden, ah, my boss. But that's ministry. Right? You think Jacob had a good boss? Look at Laban, right? Laban was his boss. Laban was the idiot. Laban was the jerk. Laban was what you call the quintessential con man, right? Laban was the one that made Jacob's life miserable. But yet here, even Laban, the bad boss, right, in a rare moment of honesty, says, Jacob, stay. I, I recognize that after these 14 years, man, I've been blessed because of you. I've been blessed. I become rich because of you. That's a real challenge for us, isn't it? It's a real challenge, but it's ministry. Amen? And please, do me a favor and don't be the religious type man that stops working. Okay? Stops working, stops progress so that you can stop and talk to somebody about God. Don't be that type of person that says, oh, the Lord told me I got to go speak to this person. And you stop progress at work during working hours to go speak to this person. Because the Lord is all about work. Amen. There's plenty of time to witness to somebody. Off the clock or during your lunch time. Right? Don't be that super religious person that calls in. 
because you need prayer time. No. Be the hard worker, right? Be a hard worker. Be a busy worker because God is all about work. Amen? Every person that God called into the ministry was working. They were working hard. What was Peter doing when, when, when God called him? He was casting the nets. He was working. What was Elisha doing? Behind the oxen. Working. Right? What was Moses doing? He was watching his father-in-law's flock, his sheep. He was at work. Amen? You'll never see any man of God that God calls be lazy. You'll never see that. You'll never see them skating. There were always men that worked. And here is a prime example, Jacob. Jacob is a man that worked. He worked hard. Though he had a lot of faults, though he was passive, and he loved to say, okay, he still worked hard. He was a hard worker, amen? He was a man of what you call tremendous industry, tremendous energy, amen? Verse 28, he added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know I have worked for you you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has, has fared under my care. The little that you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I go do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them, every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted or speckled goat, these they would be my wages. Now, in those days in the Middle East, and even to this day, sheep were primarily white, okay? The goats were primarily, predominantly brown or black. In other words, they were, they were solid color. Occasionally, you will find some spotted, speckled ones in the mix. And so here, this is what Jacob is saying. Let me go and let me take out the spotted and speckled ones and I'll keep those. Because according to Mendel's law of genetics, the solid color ones are the, are, the, are the dominant colors, right? They're supposed to be the strong ones. So Jacob here is saying, I'll take the weak ones and I'll give you the strong ones. Verse 33 says, And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on, on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. So right now Laban is thinking he's got a good deal. He said, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So now we've got the two con men striking another deal. All right? But check out what happens. Verse 35. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them. And all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So once again, Laban comes out with true to his nature, right? He pulls another trick on Jacob. He removes all the speckled, all the spotted uh, uh, herd, and he sends them away with his other, his other kids. So now the next day when Jacob comes out, there's nothing there. All he's seeing is just solid-colored cattle, right? Solid-colored sheep, solid-colored goats. 
Because Laban had the idea that, hey, if a white mates with a white, it's going to produce a white. If a black produces with a black, it's going to produce another black, right? So he's thinking, I don't want these to, to commingle because if they commingle, there's a possibility that there might be more speckled ones. So in other words, he didn't want to pay Jacob. He was greedy. He didn't want to pay him. So he takes away the, the spotted ones that are there now so that they don't produce any more. Okay? But you know what? Jacob is prepared for that. Jacob learned his lesson the first time he got tricked. What happened the first time he got tricked? He ended up with an ugly woman, huh? He ended up with an ugly woman. So he learned that he learned from that lesson. Verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would, direct, they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked and speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but he made the rest face the streak and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put, did not put them with Laban's animals. Wherever, whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches and the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew ex exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So now we're seeing Jacob gets the better hand of it, right? Jacob has a few tricks of his own, okay? Now some would say that this is some form of DNA alteration, some would even say that this is giving a suggestion of some type of prenatal suggestion here, right? But I don't think this is the case. I don't think this is the case because we're going to see in chapter 31 that it's a dream that Jacob has. God gives Jacob a dream and he tells him, he says, ask for the spotted and the speckled livestock. How many believe that God is in control? Right? Here we have everybody here trying to pull strings, thinking they're in control of everything going on in this chapter. But yet at the end, we're seeing God is in control, right? God's the creator of everything, including every law of genetics. Amen? Sometimes God does things that really doesn't make sense, huh? I mean, to bust up some branches and throw them in water and think that that's going to bring out some spotted cattle? It doesn't make sense, does it? But sometimes God will do things that doesn't make sense. But just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean, to us, it doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense at all. Amen? Because after all, God is in control of everything. But this is what I believe is happening. I believe that God is honoring and putting his stamp of approval on someone who is faithful and obedient. That's what I believe. Because he gives them this dream that doesn't make sense at all. And what does Jacob do? He doesn't question. He gets up and he does it. That's faith. Faith will take something that you don't even understand why. And you just move because God said move. 
And I think this is what's happening here. God's putting his stamp of approval on someone who takes action, who puts feet to their faith. Amen? And where did he get this? He got it from a dream. Jacob was answering a dream. How many of us have dreams? How many of us have dreams, right? We should all have dreams. Amen? People have dreams every day. But how many of us make that dream happen? There are a lot of people that end up staying in bed. They don't get out of bed to fulfill their dreams. Right? There are a lot of people that stay on the couch with a remote, you know, Netflixing, right? Watching Netflix all day and not fulfilling their dreams. Remember, we covered earlier that God is into people that work. And I think this is what God is doing. He's honoring a person who is willing to get in there and roll up his sleeves and work. Even though it doesn't make sense. You ever been on a job site where you're told to do something and it doesn't make sense? Right? Don't complain about it. Just do it. God honors that. Amen? That's a lesson for us today. Work hard. Don't complain. Have faith that God is in control. And God will honor it. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you, Father, for the lesson, Lord, that we learned today, Father. We're so grateful, Lord God, that even in the midst of bad choices, in the midst of our dysfunctionality at times, Lord God, you continue to bless, you continue to use every situation, Father, to fulfill your will. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for in times, Lord, when we make bad choices, in times where we are disobedient, Father, we ask for forgiveness and we ask, Lord God, that you would help us Help us to see through your eyes, Lord. Help us, Heavenly Father, to trust more in you and to be that minister, Father. Not just here in church, Lord, but that minister out on the streets, out on our job sites, out in our families, Lord. Let us be that example, Father God, that you call us to be, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord God, for, that, for your name to be glorified in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, that people would, that people would be... Uh, uh, would see us as, as, as contagious, Lord God, for you, Lord. Let us be contagious for the kingdom of God, Father. In Jesus' name, Father. And should there be times, Father, where we don't understand why this is going on or why that's going on, Father, that we not question it, but instead that we would uh, just have faith, Lord. Put feet to our faith, Father, and continue, Father, to work hard. Father, we pray, Father, that you would bless every person here, Father. I pray a blessing over every person here as they go home, Lord, that you would cover them, protect them, Father. Be with them, Lord. Shower your favor upon them, Father, in Jesus' name, Father. We're grateful once again, Father, for tonight and for your word. And we ask, Lord God, for your will to be done, Father, in Jesus' name. And let all of God's people say, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, church.